Well, good morning. This morning we are going to be uh, kicking off a, a new sermon series. We just finished up Ecclesiastes last week. And I'm excited about this one. It's going to run for four weeks. And I'm excited about it because um, what we're looking at is I, what, one of the things which I believe is at the crux, the center of, of Christianity, of our, of our faith. If somebody asks you what it means to be a Christian or how to become one or if you're unsure about what it means to be a Christian or how to become one, well, then I think this series is going to be really helpful. So what is at the crux of being a Christian? Where do you start? You start at the cross. You begin at the cross of Christ. Now, the New Testament focuses on a few main themes regarding Jesus. Things like um, the incarnation, his birth, his incarnation, this belief that Jesus was both fully human and fully divine. Or his perfect sinless life, this belief that Jesus did what nobody else could do. He lived perfectly without any sin at all. Certainly his resurrection has to be at the core. The belief that Jesus rose from the dead after being crucified. And because of that, we, have, we, we don't have to be afraid of death. Uh, we can live after our eyes closed in this life. Things like his second coming, the belief that someday he will return uh, to restore all things, to judge all, some to eternity with him, some to separation from him. But the theme we're going to be digging into is this theme of the cross. Now, if a church is a church, then a cross will be prominent somewhere, whether it's outside, we have the three crosses outside, or whether it's in the sanctuary, like we have up here. Since the church began, the cross is central. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 2, 2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus himself said this about the cross. Whoever wants to be my disciple must take up the cross, deny themselves, and follow me. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks, writes about the cross being the power of The power of God, something that seems to be a moment of humiliation and defeat is, in fact, the opposite, a moment of power and of victory. Now, we're calling the sermon series Crossing. You can see on the the slide behind me, uh, not cross, because my hope is that this will lead us to action that will respond to the cross and not just nod our head in agreement, say, yep, yep, I agree with that. and Say a quick thank you to Jesus. My hope is that we will respond, we'll take up the cross, we'll walk with it each and every day, walking with a cross, in a sense, you know, crossing. My hope is that we will respond uh, with a firm decision in a certain direction because the cross of Christ brings us to a crossroads. It always does. Which way will I go? What direction will I choose? Yet the cross we're called to live in the power of it. It's not just a place for a transaction. Jesus takes my sin and gives me his righteousness. That's wonderful. That's true. But it's, it's more than that. We are too, as Paul asserts, boast only in the cross of Christ. Nothing else. Not our achievements or whatever. We are too, as Paul insists, know Jesus in Christ crucified. We are to live our lives at the foot of the cross, carrying the cross, living in and through the power of the cross of Christ. So with that in mind, we're going to begin with one of my very favorite passages, uh, the passage from Luke 23, the story of the thief on the cross that Judy just read. And it's special to me because this is the story that I read. And after that, the Holy Spirit used it to bring me to a place where I saw my need for forgiveness and I had a desire to be with Jesus in his kingdom. 
And I was a young child, about seven years old, and, and I'd read one of those illustrated Bibles. And that night I was lying in bed by myself, and I just had this, 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 this strong desire. And I simply said, Jesus, I want to be in heaven with you. Please forgive me. And I had one of the most profound experiences of my life, a sense of incredible peace and warmth lightness all around me. I could feel God's embrace. And I knew without a doubt that God was real. And I knew that God loved me. Now we know very little about the thief on the cross. Obviously he and the other thief had done something terribly wrong uh, to deserve crucifixion, a particularly horrible way to die. They themselves had probably committed murder or treason or maybe both. And as they're hanging there, they hear the crowd mocking Jesus, the crowd, the Jewish leaders, the soldiers, they're all mocking him. They're, they're, they're gambling for his casting lots for his clothes or they're, they're, they're giving Jesus a hard time. And in other passages, we see this in the other gospels, they join in. But then something changes for one of the thieves, thieves at some level, he begins to understand a little bit. The Holy Spirit begins to drop the scales from his eyes and open his heart. And I think it begins with these words of Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now, we've heard this so many times, maybe it doesn't stun us like it should, but Jesus said this when he was hanging on a cross in excruciating pain. And the thief would have heard this and it would have stunned him. Who was this guy that he could say those words? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. William Arthur Ward wrote this. We are most like beasts when we kill. We are most like humans when we judge. We are most like God when we forgive. Now, the people have never heard this quote, obviously, but at some level, as we work our way through his story, we see that he begins to understand who Jesus was. And it begins with Jesus' words. Father, forgive them. Let's pick it up at verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there and hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for you're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. So two very different responses. One thief is full of anger and hostility. His heart is hard. And even in his last hours, he is defiant and bitter. There's no sign of of repentance, of sorrow, no acknowledgement of his responsibility for what's happening to him. But the other thief, he's scared and and he's humbled because he knows very well that he will be held accountable by God for what he's done in his life. And he accepts full responsibility for what he's done. And he acknowledges he's totally ruined his life and sinned against God. And he understands that he, he deserves the cross. Now, if you've really messed up your life, this statement, hey, I deserve the cross, it might be easier to agree with. But if you, like many people, are doing you know, okay in life, it might be a little bit harder to swallow. As human beings, we have this inherent tendency to try to justify ourselves and to rationalize our actions. It's our pride. Our pride is like this, like a virus, which we can never fully eradicate. It mutates and spreads and ebbs and flows, tainting all sorts of things in our lives. I'm glad I didn't do what she did. What a mess she's made of her life. 
man, I don't get it. Why would he do such a thing? And we evaluate ourselves against others and justify ourselves that way. But in the end, we are not evaluated against other people. We are evaluated against God and his holiness. And that is an evaluation that we will always fail. So like the thief on the cross, we must begin with an understanding that we deserve death for our sins and that no matter how good we may be or try to be, it doesn't change that. And most of us, we don't like that because of our pride and this chronic need to justify ourselves. That's why Paul writes about the offense of the cross. Our pride is offended by the message that we are sinners who need to be saved. When we look around, I think, hey, I'm not that bad. I'm doing pretty well. The late Reverend D.M. Stearns wrote a book titled Message of the Cross. On one occasion, he was preaching in Philadelphia. And at the end of the service, a stranger came up to him and said, I don't like the way you spoke about the cross. I think that instead of emphasizing the death of Christ, it would be far better to preach Jesus, the teacher and example. Stearns replied, if I presented Christ in that way, would you be willing to follow him? I certainly would, the stranger said. All right, let's take the first step. He did no sin. Can you say that? The man looked confused and somewhat surprised. Why, no, I acknowledge that I do wrong things. Stearns replied, then your greatest need is to have a savior, not an example. Next, the thief believes that Jesus does not deserve the cross. So as we said earlier in the introduction, part of what it means to be a Christian is to believe that Jesus did not deserve to die on the cross, that he lived a perfect life and was without sin. Now, I don't doubt that the thief would have put it that way, but there was something in his spirit that knew Jesus should not be on the middle cross. Now, that's important for us. If Jesus wasn't perfect and without sin, then he wouldn't have been qualified to take our place and pay for our sins. Only a perfect sacrifice would work, would do. Next, the thief says something astonishing. Verse 42. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, recall earlier in in verses 37, 38, Jesus is being mocked by the soldiers as the king of the Jews. And there's a sign above his head on the cross mocking him. So Jesus is about dead. He's seemingly powerless. He's humiliated. He seems to be defeated. His life seems to be over. All he's done seems to be for naught. He's about as far as you can be from an earthly throne. He's been stripped of everything. And the thief believes that Jesus is still a king. And let's be clear, he's not mocking Jesus like the others. And he's not patronizing Jesus uh, not trying to uh, you know, kind of pop this messianic delusion that others think Jesus has. He's sincere, and he sees something royal, something kingly in Jesus. And then somehow, it's clear that the work of the Holy Spirit, he states that Jesus will live beyond the cross. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. When. Despite Jesus' death on the cross that was soon to come, the thief believes that Jesus is going to live and still be a king. Now, nobody's ever survived a crucifixion. So the thief clearly believed that Jesus would die and rise again and bring in his kingdom. He's saying, Jesus, this is not the end of you. You can save me and you are my king. Now, the words of Romans 10, 9 echo in my mind. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, 
and you believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's kind of what's happening here. This is a living illustration of Romans 10.9, before it was written. He confesses with the mouth, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You're a king, and I want to be one of your subjects. This is salvation. This is when somebody believes in their heart that Jesus Christ, the righteous, pure, holy son of God, has died for sin and has been resurrected and is seated at the right hand of God and that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we say in the moment, Jesus, I want to be in your kingdom. You're saved. And finally, the thief, you can hear it in his voice. You can, you can picture it. He's hoping. He's desperately hoping, believing that Jesus was merciful. I mean, he had heard Jesus pray, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. The thief knew he was getting what he deserved, justice. But he hopes, he asks, he begs for mercy and for forgiveness. And he got it. Jesus said, you're going to be in paradise with me by the end of the day. Before I close up here in, a, in just a few moments, I want, to, I want us to watch a clip by um, a, a pastor, preacher, theologian named Alastair Begg. He's a British guy. And he's speaking about the thief on the cross. So let's, take a, let's watch it together. seems that we don't have any sound right now, so uh, we'll hopefully get it going for the next service. I, I encourage you, this is a fantastic clip, so go ahead and shut it down, guys. That's fine. But basically in the clip, he's talking about what does the thief have to say when he comes to heaven? Uh, when, when he's asked, okay, why should you get in? The, the thief, the, the, these guys, they're, they're stunned. Why, why should we let this guy in? come in? He hasn't been baptized. He can't elaborate the doctrine of Scripture. He doesn't understand justification by faith. He doesn't understand this concept of, 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 of grace completely. Uh, there's a lot of things, a lot of holes in his theology. Uh, he hasn't led anybody to Christ. And, and Beck basically says, because you get it wrong. When you bring, when you come, well, I should be saved because I. When it's in the first person, we always get it wrong. I am baptized. I believed. I prayed. He says we've got it wrong. It's always the third person. Because Jesus. Because the man on the middle cross. Because Jesus did this. Because Jesus promised this. Because he fulfilled this. That's what it needs to be about. We're justified only because of what has Jesus has done. The man on the middle cross is what saves us. Not I did, not I believed, not I deserved, not I earned. Jesus did, Jesus said. You see, it all comes back to the cross of Christ. Without the cross, we are lost, without a shred of hope. But with the cross, we have all that truly, truly matters. Let's pray. Father, we... Um, we thank you for your great 
love and mercy. And we are grateful for the Son of your Jesus. We thank you for the cross of Christ uh, that saves us. What Jesus did on the cross for us, poured out his life for us, lived a perfect life, and received what he did not deserve and took upon himself what we do deserve. Lord, we thank you for that. Help us to be people who keep that at the center of our faith, lest we fall into self-righteousness, self-justification, and pride. May we always be humble and grateful, coming to the foot of the cross, taking up the cross, and following you. Amen.